We meet today in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we are looking today at verse 1 to verse 4. And I know that someone would say, only four verses. What are we going to learn? But like I said before, the epistle to the Philippians is actually an affectionate epistle coming from the heart of Paul as he shared his relationship with the Philippian believers whom he loved so much and they loved him as much. We have so much to learn from this affectionate letter. Now, Paul talks about the pattern for Christian living. He says the pattern for Christian living as he admonishes these believers is others. Just to think of others, not concentrating on self, but think of others. The apostle, by the most affecting topics, exhorts his brethren to humble condensation and self-denying love. That is what we see in this chapter. But let me also say a few things concerning the entire chapter because this forms part of the introduction to that chapter. After the examples of Christ in his incarnation, in his humiliation and death on the cross, as introductory to his glorious exhortation, the apostle exhorts diligence in working out their own salvation. And by the way, that salvation would be worked out with fear and trembling as depending on the grace of God. He also talks of the need to profess the gospel and to adorn it among the neighbors by a harmless and humble example in such a manner that he might rejoice with them at the day of Christ in the success of his laborers, in the success of his works. Paul assures the believers at Philippi, that he would joyfully become a martyr for their sex, and he exhorts them to rejoice with him. He hopes to send Timothy to them shortly, whom he highly commends. And remember, Timothy was a wonderful disciple of Paul, as he does also Epaphroditus, their messenger to him, who had been sick and was grieved that they had it, and who as God had mercifully restored him, longed to return to them. The apostle therefore sends him back and exhorts them highly to value him as such as he, seeing he had disregarded his life to supply their lack of service. You see, these people could not be able to go to Paul and minister to him, but Epaphroditus had disregarded his life to go and fill in for them. That is the message that comes out of this chapter. But today we are simply looking at the self-denying love, which highlights others. In the first chapter, we saw the philosophy of Christian living summed up in one verse. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ was the very center of Paul's life. Now in chapter 2, we come to the pattern for Christian living, which is the mind of Christ, as we shall see later. The pattern for Christian living. Now, 
that pattern cannot be by imitation. And I hear people talking today about following Jesus. I sometimes would like to ask these people what they mean by that, especially when their lives do not conform to what they are saying. What do you mean when you say you follow Jesus? What do you mean when you say you are a Christian? You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you trying to imitate Jesus? Now, the pattern for Christian living is not by imitation. It cannot be. When Paul says here that Christ is the pattern for Christian living, he is not talking about imitation. He is talking about impartation. And those two words are important to note. That is, the mind of Christ should be in us, impartation, not us trying to copy what Christ did. It can be there only by the power of the Holy Spirit. No one can have the mind of Christ except the Holy Spirit of God imparts the mind of Christ in us. And that, of course, comes through the new birth of the Spirit of God. I learned a long time ago that when Asafa does things, they are not only not done well, you see, they are even done wrong, and that is always. But it has been wonderful to see how the Lord does take over. When he takes over, me who was far away has been brought near, me who used to just have an inclination to do what is wrong, now have an appetite to do what is right. Christ in me, the impartation. We need to learn to sit back and watch the Spirit of God move. That doesn't mean that we simply sit and twiddle our thumbs. No, no, no. Of course, we carry on the program that God has given us to carry on. But the power and the dynamic come not from us, but the power and the dynamic comes from the Spirit of God. Sometimes we in the evangelical circles or the fundamentals have been guilty of only using the mind, the mind, the mind, the reason, the reason. But remember, my friend, the admonition in the word of God is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might. And actually, the spirit side needs to be brought in. Let us allow the spirit of God to work because the work that we are doing is spiritual. It cannot be done in the physical or simply in the mind. So in this chapter, we see one of the greatest theological statements made in scripture. That is the statement concerning the person of Christ. Down through the centuries, one of the most controversial issues has come out of that theological statement. What is that theological statement? In fact, it is the thing that probably divided Europe. It had more to do with it than anything else. It is the theory. The theory promoted was the kenosis theory, which is that at Christ's incarnation, he emptied himself of his deity. The theory of kenosis says that when Christ became human, he emptied himself of his divine attributes. This chapter will make it clear that he did not empty himself of his deity. No, 
That is a subject that needs to be clearly understood as we go along. Now, let's talk about the pattern for Christian living, which is others-centered. Before we get into the controversial issue, let's notice the practical side. This is a practical epistle, and it has a practical side. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Philippians 2, verse 1. The if which we see here after therefore, it begins this verse. That if is not the if of condition. It's not a conditional clause. It's not a conditional preposition. This is not a conditional clause, my friend. You will find that many times Paul uses if as an argument rather than a condition. That is the case in this particular verse. You can almost say, therefore, since there is consolation in Christ Jesus. Paul is a logical thinker. It has been said that if you do not find Paul logical, you are not reading him right. It would be more accurate, therefore, to translate, since there is consolation in Christ and since there is comfort of love, and since there is the fellowship of the Spirit, and since there is tenderness and mercy. Therefore, these things are there. Because they are there, the logic of it should then be expected. These are facts in Christ. In fellowship with Christ is consolation. There is comfort of love. There is fellowship of the Spirit. There is affection. There is mercy. Because those things are there, what must happen? Since these things are blessed realities, how incongruous for any saint to act as if they were non-existent. If any Christian would then act as if they were not there, that becomes incongruent. Now, in view of all this, Paul says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. What is this saying? Paul is saying, fill up to the full because there is consolation in Christ. There is comfort and love. There is fellowship. There is affection and mercy. Fill up to the full and make my joy complete. And how are you doing it? By being like-minded, having the same love, have one accord, be of one mind. He wants his cup of joy full and running over. The Philippians can accomplish this by obeying Paul's admonitions and exhorting the virtues to which he exhorts them. Even though he is in prison, he is rejoicing in the Lord. But he says that he would rejoice even more. If he knew the gospel was working in their lives, especially the believers at Philippi, what is it that would give him joy? Remember, even when he started in chapter 1, he rejoiced in them. Every time he mentioned the Philippians in his prayers, he did it with great joy. Why? Because 
in the body of Christ. There was consolation, there was comfort, there was fellowship, affection, and mercy. He had even received that comfort, consolation, and mercy from their ministry to him. So he says, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You see, there had been a little difficulty, as we noted before, in the Philippian church. Not much, but just a little. And Paul wants them now to be of one mind. He is not asking them to be carbon copies of each other. No, no. In most churches, there are two groups of people. One group for the pastor and one group against the pastor. The people who, comp who comprise these groups are not thinking for themselves, but they are simply carbon copies of the group leaders. Jesus Christ does not want us to be like that. To be of one mind is to let the mind of Christ be in you. That permits differences of expressions, differences in gifts, differences in methods of service, even differences in minor doctrines. We won't be beating each other on the head because we disagree on these things. If we have the mind of Christ, we will all agree on the major tendency of the faith. That is important. So Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. You see, unity is defined as something far deeper than consent to a common creed. Union in a form of worship and even participation in a common task. Unity is of heart, soul, and mind. This is what Christ can do and he will do. That is why he says being of one accord and of one mind. It is not just unity by means of a consent to a common belief, a uniform uh, union in a form of worship or participation in common rituals or tasks. That is not unity. Unity should be of the heart, soul, and mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambitions or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, that is the main theme of this passage, the pattern for Christian living, others. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 is the verse we have before us. Now, Factious strife, intriguing for office, a desire to put oneself forward, a partisan and factious spirit, self-seeking, that is not welcome among the people who have one mind, who are of one accord. Conceit here refers to empty, proud, or groundless self-esteem. Ambition and vanity will destroy the unity and the harmony of the church. Paul's prohibitions here are indicators of what is wrong, which he wishes to correct. Christians should seek the approval of God, not the applause of man. So he admonishes with lowliness of mind, and this is humility of mind and deportment, a deep sense of one's littleness. 
This indicates self-forgetfulness in saving others, the spirit which most resembles Christ. The pathway to unity is lowly and lonely. Let each esteem others better than himself. This means go on regarding others above yourself. Is that what drives you, my friend? Oh, you are driven by what is good for you. In fact, the saying continues to be heard all over the place. What's in it for me? When are we going to hear people asking questions? What is it that I'm going to do for them rather than what is it that I'm going to get out of them? The pattern for Christian living, others. This is Christ-like spirit of humility which fixes its eyes on the excellency of others and judges them from that standpoint. When people say have the same mind that was in Christ, you see, he saw the hurts of others, he saw the needs of others, and that led him to be willing to cry. Have the mind of Christ. You remember that Paul has mentioned this before. He said that there were some who were preaching Christ out of envy and strive. Now he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Now I would say most of the difficulties in the church today are not due to doctrinal differences. They are due to strife and envy. Some people just naturally cause trouble. Some people don't like to be in church and see that the church is simply going on well. Rather, they would cause strife. They would cause divisions. If we could follow this injunction, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, I think it would solve 90% or maybe even 100% of the problems in churches today. If you are going to do, if you are doing something through strife in the church, you had better not do it at all. Have the mind of Christ. The same is true. If you do things because you expect to be recognized, you have a wrong reason. One of the reasons I don't like to go to the organizational me meetings is that I get tired of people having to thank Mrs. So-and-so because she bought a a bouquet, or she did this, Mr. So-and-so, because he brought in an extra chair. And you don't dare leave out anyone else, because if you do, you will be in trouble. Someone will come up and say, why did you not mention me? Because what I did was not important. You see here, there is problem. Christians need to be recognized and complimented and commented for the things they do. Do Christians need to be recognized and complimented and commented for the things they do? Why? And if they have not been acknowledged, why do they feel so much pain? What had driven them to do so? Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Trying to make a name for yourself. That is the big problem. Don't make a name for yourself, my brother. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Perhaps this was the problem between Eudius and Syntyche. It may be that each felt she was being put down by the other. If this verse were obeyed, 
I believe it would solve the problems in most of the music departments, even in our churches. It would eliminate the attitude, why don't they call on me to sing? I have a much better voice than so and so. The same could be said for problems on boards and committees. It would eliminate the power struggle that goes on in some churches among church officers. Why let nothing be done through selfish ambitions or conceit? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. The main theme in this particular section concerning the pattern for Christian living is others. Now, here is a mountain requirement. You look out not only for your interests, but look out for the interest of others also. That means it's true you look for your interests, but not just your interest. Consider others. Keep an eye for the good of others. Have respect for, fix your attention upon with a desire for an interest in others. They were to be attentive to the interests of others as well as their own. This is the commandment. Every church member should practice unselfishness and due consideration for all the others instead of simply thinking of self, self, self. In fact, don't just be receiving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Others is the key note of these verses. This was the dominant feature in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He put others first. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 tells us, For even the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to save and to give his life a ransom for many. A man of the flesh looks out for number one, but a man of the spirit lives in submission to Christ and in service to his fellow men. This is the injunction. This is the direction uh, Paul is getting in his teaching. So think of others as the key to this passage. Just four verses here talking about others. It is the Christian's faith which first made the word others important. Otherwise, the whole world did not have vocabulary for others in a more important light. Why did Christ come from heaven's glory to this earth? It was for others. Why should we carry the gospel? It should be for others. To think of others rather than ourselves is having the mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ, my friend? The mind of Christ can be revealed and shown in the context of relationships, especially with regard to how you view others. Do you put others? Even why do you give to church? Do you give to church because you also think of others? Why do you have to go and witness? Is it because you are thinking of others? Why are you going to school to study? Is it because of others? Or it is because of you? Please have the mind of Christ. He left heaven for your sake, for my sake. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. 
For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.